welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. Okay, so welcome to People With Purpose. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Philip Holt, who, with over 30 years of experience in industry giants such as GKN Aerospace, Philips, uh, Gillette and Travelport, has built a reputation for being really a, a global expert in lean thinking, but also in lean doing and in lean being, uh, and in leading lean by living lean, bit of a mouthful. Uh, his book, uh, Philip, talks about you know, the aspect of being a lean leader. So uh, really keen to get into the conversation. And Phil, Philip, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, David. I'm uh, really grateful to be on. Thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. And is it, is it Phil or Philip? I'm happy. I answer to either of them. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Good. We'll try and keep it to those two then, just to sort of uh, oh, keep okay. it clean. Yeah, good, good. Good. So what are you working on at the minute then, Phil? Uh, so I'm actually working on uh, setting up my own business at the moment, uh, David. So I, I recently left GK Aerospace after nearly five successful years. Um, real, really nice ending uh, in terms of it was uh, it was kind of achieving or mission accomplished um, for what we wanted to do over that four to five year period. And uh, yeah, great, great to have been there for five years really met some great people enjoyed it but now it's time for a new venture so yeah i've uh, started my own business leading with lean surprisingly enough and uh, and that's uh, that's what i'm working on at the moment excellent so uh, so where, where are you looking to focus your your efforts then with your new venture so it's, it's really about helping organizations uh, you know large and small who want to make uh, an impact on the way that they work through their people. Um, kind of the, the tagline I have is making the world of work better for people. Um, and, and the reason that I say that is that, you know, to me, it's a, it, it's it's really, as the Americans would say, win-win. If you make the, you know, the workplace a better place, a more engaging place for your people, then there's clear evidence that you actually make a more successful business. You perform better. And um, so, you know, what I've what I've experienced over the past 15 to 20 years of, of leading lean transformations is that when we focus on our people, when we focus on creating the right culture, we get better business results. And uh, that's what I'm passionate about doing. It's interesting because uh, looking uh, at the outside from the outside in, if you like, on, on lean, and I, I did do a, a Kaizen event in I think 1998 or something like that, and uh, it's all all very sort of process focus. So that's the per perception. Is that like a myth that needs to be debunked? Oh, ab absolutely. I, I recently wrote an article on on LinkedIn and and described Toyota as the Kaiser Soze of of uh, of lean thinking because what what everybody sees in Toyota is essentially the the symptoms um of of what they do and what i mean by that is they they see the the daily management they see the visual management they see you know andons and and so many i would say you know 90% plus of people who are trying to do lean are focusing on those tools and and what Toyota do really really well is that they solve problems every single day and the tools are just what they've developed to help them to solve problems really well um and and that's that's what we really need to understand when we're trying to understand how lean works is that it's 
it's a philosophy. It's about the way that we actually operate. It's about respect for people uh, and engaging those people in making results better. Um, and as I said, making the workplace better at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay. So if it's, if it's about people, then, then what, what, what is Lee? I know you just sort of kind of just described it, but if, if you were going to put it into, um, I suppose, I suppose a couple of sentences just to really clearly articulate what it is. Imagine you're talking to a smaller business owner who's, who, who might be growing, but in the sort of chaos phase of kind of growing a business, uh, which you might shortly be in, by the way, it could be quite handy to have some, <laughs> have some lean skills in a, in a year or two. Um, how would you describe it to somebody like that? So what, what, I, what I often say, if I'm trying to keep it really, really simple, is a lot of people view lean as a, an acronym. Um, meaning less employees are needed. Um, and, and that's kind of the joke about it. But, you know, what I say is, in reality, lean is about leadership. It's about excellence. It's about analysis, being data-driven. And it's about saying no. And I, and I think, you know, to your example of small business owners, I think one of the biggest challenges they have is focus. Uh, most large organizations do as well, but focus burns energy focus burns time and if you're burning time on things that are, that are fruitless then you can't be spending that time on the things that really help to grow the business so lean is about helping people to focus it's about having leadership that is people focused i'm i'm going to sound like a broken record by the end of this but it's about you know realizing that everything we do is about the people who do it and about you know whether they be our customers our shareholders um our stakeholders in the wider community um you know employees whoever we're talking about whatever we're talking about it's about people around that organization mm -hmm. and you mentioned the sort of the tools uh, what, what kind of what kind of tools uh, are you describing so the tools it's it's you know it's just like any tradesman has a set of tools that they're going to use to do their job effectively and they choose the right one um, you know, what, what I developed several years ago, which I deployed in, in Philips, in Travelport, and, and recently in GK Aerospace, is a, a phase deployment model. And I say developed because I didn't design this. We uh, we proudly stole the idea from Honeywell um, and then developed it and built on it. Um, but it starts with the toolkit, if you will, around what we call a phase one, which is about the leadership understanding really what is their strategy. And how do they want to deploy that strategy and how are they going to measure success? You know, within that, we start to apply tools like Horshin Canary, organizational design, you know, setting the vision for the organization. We then move on to phase two, which is about creating a model area. In that, you start off by looking at value stream design, understanding what the value stream needs to look like in the future. You then implement things such as daily management and problem solving, visual management, um, you know, a whole host of different tools dependent upon the problems you're trying to solve. Phase three, you scale that up. Uh, by the end of phase three, you've got what we call our brilliant basics in place. Then we go into phase four, which is about things like industry 4.0, about really striving for excellence. And then phase five is about sustaining it. And the tools, as I said, as you go through that, are things like Ocean Canary, daily management and problem solving visual management, leader standard work, standardized work, et cetera. But again, the tools aren't the end game. The, the business improvement is the end game. And what we're going to do is use the tools to 
you know, design and create and evolve the business to what we want it to be. Sure, sure. And is it is it better to kind of, if you're about to start a business, is it better to kind of start it with some of these uh, tools and methods in your locker already? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a lot of mythology around, you know, lean tools that they're something on top of what you do mm. uh, or, or they're a nicety. You know, I even hear people who say, oh, we can't do lean yet because we've got to get stability. If, if there's the one thing that will help you to get a stability in an organisation, it's using lean thinking and lean leadership. Mm. Um, and, and so it's absolutely critical that you put that in from day one. Um, because again, it's about not wasting time. That, that's what it's about. Let's not waste time having to solve the problems every day that we've already solved. Let's standardize and put them in place and we can use our brain on being creative and growing the business. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So um, you mentioned people, uh, so I'm going to mention it too. And, uh, and, and, then, and then you sort of said, talked about people in your business, you talked about your customers and you talked about your investors. What, what should those three communities if you like or stakeholder groups be expecting you know for, as an outcome or, or to experience from a uh, from implement, implementing some of these techniques yeah so i think you know first of all you're looking for your shareholders to give the business the the targets that they're expecting so what is it they expect from that business from that, then the leadership of the organization can say, okay, let's let's talk to our customers, let's understand from our customers what their expectations are. And then this is what strategy is all about, right? Strategy is about putting your customers' requirements together with your business objectives and creating a mutually beneficial outcome from that. Mm. What you then do using lean leadership is you engage everybody in your business in ensuring that you can deliver superior results so the way i normally measure it is a very balanced business scorecard around people safety quality delivery cash and cost so and and deliberately in that order because we want to engage our people and make sure they've got the right capabilities to do their jobs effectively every day we want a safe environment that's both a physical and psychologically safe environment for people to operate within that will help them to focus on delivering high quality in everything they do every day, and that's processes as well as products. Um, that will mean that we then deliver to our customers on time, in full. We'll do that with the minimum invested capital that we require, so we'll manage our cash. And then as a result of that, what will fall out the end is lower cost to operate, lower cost to serve, and better profitability. So. Again, it's mutually beneficial. All, all three of those stakeholders and the fourth one, which is the community around that, can, can benefit if we focus on doing the right things. Yeah, the way you talk about it, it sounds like um, that there's, there should be no real need for any other um, business models. Uh, and, and that yet there are sort of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of books on different models for, for different techniques to set your strategy, to, to set your operations up and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, um, has, has Lean had a massive impact on the world or, or is, is there more to come from Lean? I, I think there would be much more to come from it if we could really educate ourselves the general population on using it in the right way as, as i say and i i, I say this i've i've 
you know, over the years, I've hired people into teams and worked with many people. And unfortunately, a lot of people who, you know, label themselves lean, be they consultants or people who might have that job title in an organization, really don't understand it. They, they really are about tools. And I think that the problem we've, we've got still is that, you know, people go around like they, ha- they have a hammer and every problem they see is a nail. Um, instead of taking that more holistic uh, approach to it. But yeah, absolutely. I think if you run a business very in a very straightforward way in terms of, you know, as I've described, get your strategy, understand your customer's requirements, and then engage everybody around it, it can be as simple as that. The uh, the problem we've got is human beings getting away. You know, and I said it's all about people, but... You know what? What I'm talking to you about up to now, David, is is very logical, right? And this has been one of my biggest learnings over the past several years is that you know PDCA, which as an engineer, I'm very much you know a logical guy, plan, do, check, act, or plan, do, you know, uh, etc. You know that to me is is very straightforward as a logical person. However, what I've learned over the past few years is that as human beings, we're not that logical. And that includes people who consider themselves logical. We've we've all got our emotions. We all react differently. We've got triggers. We've got things that make us behave in a certain way that sometimes seems completely illogical because of vested interest, because of insecurity, fear, etc. And I've, I've in the past five or six years really adopted what's called the BTFA model, um, believe, think, feel, and act. And that's not a model instead of PDCA. It's actually a model that runs concurrently with PDCA and allows you to understand the humanity that's in any change process. Um, and and that's, that, to me, has been revolutionary. Mm. So can you um, give a sort of a couple of examples of or maybe just one or two uh, of, of, of projects that you've improvement projects that you've run pre BTFA? And then yeah. projects that you've you've run after that, and and sort of describe what the difference has looked like, both in kind of how it feels, but also in the sort of outcomes, the performance that has been achieved. Yeah. So when I first kicked off, so I'd, I'd been using lean tools for many years since the nineteen nineties, when it was still just in time, and, and lean had only just been coined. But two thousand and eight was when we kicked off the a true lean program in Phillips called called Simply Phillips. And I must admit I went at that very much in an engineer project management mode. Um had some fantastic project plans that I put together in Microsoft Project for each of the sites that we were going to deploy in. We had the five phase model. We knew we were going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z on different dates. We put a little bit of slacking because of course we know things slip planned it, went and started doing this, and I'll say quite honestly, doing it to the factories, to the sites, not with the sites. Um, and that first year or two was a massive learning curve in terms of, you know, the what I didn't know the language of at the time, but the BTFA elements. Because what we put in place was a very, very logical, fantastically engineered project plan, which if we were all robots, would have worked probably very, very well, but we're not right we're not all robots so that that gave me lots of frustration it gave the people in the sites frustration we still did i would say reasonably well and we improved business performance but there was something missing there was something missing 
fast forward to the GKN Aerospace deployment that we've done, and I'm not going to give anybody the impression that it's been in any way perfect. We we went through the COVID pandemic at the same time, but it was very different in terms of the way we approached it. Yes, we still had the five-phase model. Yes, there was still PDCA in there. You need to plan, you need to do, et cetera, check and, and act when you have problems. But we introduced the, the thinking and the, the language of BTFA into everything we did. My team and, and then by extension, people in the sites and in the company started to talk the language of BTFA. And, and when we hit challenges, the first thing somebody would say is, are we missing the BTFA in this? You know, are we missing the people side? Are we missing the emotion? And it just felt different. It just felt different. People felt more engaged with what we're doing. They understood they believed that what we were doing was to improve their lives, not just to do a company initiative. And I think that's that's the the key feeling that that improved and the results were better as a as as an outcome. Yeah. And that's also very interesting because when you're having a conversation with somebody and that they're they're asking you to do something to make a change, you're going to feel uncertain. Um, yeah. They're going to feel vulnerable, and uh, and yeah, if they're if they're looking at you as 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 the boss or or whatever, uh, potentially there's going to be, you know, I mean, a, a little bit of suspicion, as you said, if it's about kind of saving money, what does that what does that mean for me? Um, what do you need to do at the start of a of a project now to generate that belief in everyone that it's for everyone's good. So I think you, you've kind of already talked a little bit about that, David. It's about having those open discussions around what's in it for me. Mm. Um, you know, more, most corporate initiatives start off with very much financially driven objectives, which are very much top level, which the shareholders care a lot about, the senior leadership care a lot about, because um, the bonuses and other remuneration is is attached to that. But, you know, the ordinary person, the ordinary employee in the day-to-day, -day, it's very abstract for them. You know, improving EBITDA or, you know, return on investment or return on capital employed, you know, those kind of things are very abstract if, if you're a machine operator in a factory. Hmm. So what we need to do is ensure that we're trickling down and making sure we've got alignment and line of sight on, well, this is what's in it for me, you know, maybe, it, it, you know, and everybody's going to be different. For one person, it could be, hey, if we get this right and increase our capacity and improve our efficiency, I won't have to do weekend overtime. And I hate doing weekend overtime because I take my kids, I want to take my kids swimming or whatever. Mm. For somebody else, it might be, I want to earn more because I've got a big mortgage and, you know, I've just got married and I've just had kids and I need to, I need more money to pay the bills. So we need to figure out for everybody what what can we do that gives everybody that success that they want that's going to motivate and engage them. So, but the problem is that takes time, mm. and and you know many projects start as I talked about as I described with this PDCA mentality of this is how quickly we can do it. It looks great on a PowerPoint, and six months down the line when it's inevitably gone long, when mm. it's inevitably under delay. All people do is try and rework the project plan again. Nobody often sits back and says, well, why did we end up with these delays? Mm. So it's having the courage as leaders. And again, it's it always starts with the leadership, having courage as leaders to say, we're going to invest that time up front. And this can be anything. It's not just a lean transformation. Don't know how often you've been involved in ERP 
implementations, but I've been directly involved in two yeah. and, and I've been indirectly involved in three or four and they're always a nightmare, yeah. absolute nightmare. And again, because they're always very project management, logically focused. Definitely. And those, um, those positions that people turn up to those initial project meetings with are, are very often about uh, you know protecting a position uh, rather than rather than being open to to change and it is really fascinating how the um, the the mindset piece around it and the willingness and ability of people to be to be a open to it and then b to be able to manage their mental and emotional state through some of these perhaps quite difficult conversations is um, is is really 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 key in fact i used to think that um that values were the single biggest thing that would make a difference for an organization when it comes to aligning people and focusing on a common goal and and actually getting the the job done you know people having shared values now mm. i think it's that's trumped a little bit by um by having people in the business who are self-aware and are able to manage their mental and emotional state what's your yeah. view on that yeah, I would I would agree to a certain extent. I think you know ch change is hard, and it, and it is hard because people have you know implanted positions. They have fear. They have anxiety. Um, you know, to to paraphrase Max Planck, um, you know, change happens one funeral at a time. Um, might even say in business terms, one retirement at a time. Yeah. Um, and and that's because you know I mean there's a there's a great example I quoted in my latest book around Joseph Lister, who's sometimes known as the uh, the father of modern surgery, and um, he he brought in the idea of of uh, antibacterial um, uh, work when when doing the surgery of using disinfectants and and so on, and he was the uh, head of surgery for one of the large London hospitals at the time, so people all worked for him. Who he should be influencing yet other surgeons nursing staff etc would not accept his um his ideas around this even though from a pdca perspective he could show that the patient outcomes i.e survival and lack of infection was significantly better mm. following his protocols than if he did it the traditional way but it took nearly 10 years to implement those new ways of working. And most of that was because of new surgeons coming through as other surgeons retired or, or left the hospital. Um, and that's what we're battling against all the time because even the most reflective of persons will find it difficult to be altruistic and, and you know, towards a change if they see it as threatening them mm. in some way. Yeah, yeah. So I think we've got to think about, we can't rely on, you know, a naivety that we have more emotionally mature leaders now, so they're going to just sort this out. Mm. It, you, you need to do some positive activity to support the change. Yeah, yeah. Such such as? Well, as as I described, I mean, really focusing on that DTFA element, mm. uh, taking a, a phase one, whatever approach you want to call it, mm. to ensuring that you've got full engagement. Um, I mean, we've, we've all seen the situations. I mean, I've certainly seen it in my career where you'll have – a project meeting or a transformation meeting and you know you have senior leaders who all you know really agree in the meeting they all nod they say yes 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 as soon as they leave the meeting 
you know exactly what's happening they're telling their people no 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 yeah um you know because there's a certain dishonesty you know probably a provocative way of pointing it but there's a certain dishonesty which can be created in an organization where there isn't that psychological safety mm. and and it's probably even more difficult at the senior leadership level you know for somebody as a senior leader to be in a meeting with the ceo uh, or somebody else of that ilk and, and say do you know what i don't feel good about this mm. I, I don't actually like what this is going to mean for my department for my people for my position yeah um it's it's a difficult thing to get so again invest in the time invest in the 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 kind of emotional energy mm. to really make sure that people do believe in what you're trying to achieve is what i think we need to do more of yeah yeah and it's um and forgive me if i'm kind of drilling into a couple of things almost asking the same question in a slightly different way but i guess i guess part of the reason why i'm doing that is because there's a it's it feels a little bit to me that like the old the old version of lean you know pdca is very much on the sort of the management side of things and then the new version uh, btfa is very much on the leadership side of things and they are they are different skill sets so i suppose what what i'm looking for is perhaps a bit of a Bit of a bit of advice, almost for um, for you know CEOs, senior leaders on on what other kind of character qualities they might need to develop in this new world. Yeah, so I think the the key thing is not to see lean as something on the side or on top of that is an engineering project. It's really a a multifunctional, cross disciplinary activity that should be integral to executing the strategy for the business. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the, the past four to five years in, in GK and Aerospace, I probably worked as much with our HR colleagues as I did with the engineers in the business mm. because a lot of the things we did were around organizational redesign, around leadership development. Um, we implemented a whole team leader, group leader program where we uh, changed the, the role titles, the role descriptions, the expectations on that first and second level of leadership and then worked with Gallup, our partner, to um, determine how best to recruit people on a talent basis rather than a traditional, are they good at the job basis? Mm. Um, so a talent for leadership rather than being skilled at doing a particular job. And, and that that was a massive change. But again, it was realizing that we're only going to, you know, you can redesign your value streams you can put in new engineering solutions or new process solutions. But if the people who are leading the teams who are doing the work aren't the right people and haven't got the right skills and the right engagement, you're not going to be successful. So it, it really is interdisciplinary. Um, and that's just one example, I would say, of, of, of the new ways of thinking that we need from our, our CEOs and our presidents, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, um, so how did you get into all this then in the first place? Yeah, like a lot lot of my career, it was about not not so much planning, but taking opportunities and and doing things that scared me and excited me at the same time. So uh, I, I started off, I, I always say there's three parts to my career. The first part was really as an engineer. Um, and I, I did some operational leadership as well during that uh, that time. The second part of my career, I ended up through a management rotation in, in Gillette uh, in, in purchasing or procurement and supply chain roles. So I spent about 10 years, 12 years doing that. 
And then I got the opportunity in 2008 to head up one of the regions for the the new Simply Phillips deployment. And uh, it just seemed like a great challenge, but also quite scary as well. Um, and I thought, well, why why not? Let's let's give it a go. And uh, it just brought together the 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 opportunity to learn and the reflection that it gave me about you know how does an organization really work mm. you know how does this this organism which is you know all these people in large organizations or small organizations working codependently on each other and you know what we sometimes call the politics that gets in the way but essentially just the human emotion and the reaction of people's brains to things that are happening that scare them mm. and and you know and it, it just it just interests me it just excites me and i love developing people i love being part of a team i love being able to see people get the best they possibly can um as, as gallup always say about engagement you know having your best day at work i i you know and i'd love everybody to have their best day of work every day mm-hmm that's cool. And do you think um, there's anything in, um, you know, your your early career, early life, perhaps that perhaps got you more interested in in that as an outcome for people? Yeah, I think um, you know, I've always I've always enjoyed being part of a team. It's always been you know more about team success for me rather than individual success. Mm. Um, so I've, I've I've always felt like that. Um, you know, I started off. I, I started work as an apprentice, so. I actually was originally going to do the A-levels and degree routes and ended up being talked into taking an apprenticeship on where I, I did my ONC, HNC degree part-time. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it was a highly unionised company. I probably saw the worst type of old British um, industrial relations uh, during that time. You know, lots of people who would work to rule, lots of people who were absolutely disengaged. I mean, you know, they were queuing up at the clock card um, uh, to clock out two minutes before the end of the shift and then running down the yard to get in the car as quickly as they could. Mm. I mean, work was absolutely just to pay their bills. Um, and, and I think, you know, when I did some operational leadership there with a smallish team, about 250 people, and we were able to, you know, start to improve and win an award from our customer and, you know, start start to see a difference in people. That that kind of triggered something, sparked something in me, I think. And, yeah, as I say, I mean, really the big step change for me was 2008 when I really got the opportunity to do it on a large scale uh, in, in Philips. And, uh, yeah, I've no, never looked back, to be honest with you. I just, I just love what I do. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. And... Uh... Did you find that that given that in 2008 it was a bit more process orientated and, and traditional did you did you find any sort of tension inside you then because you were if you wanted to improve people's lives but perhaps people were not quite seeing it because they were seeing it perhaps well, with with suspicion maybe if nothing else um how, how did you sort of navigate your way through that challenge so I, I, I mean, in the I, I don't know how many of the listeners will be familiar with Clifton Strengths. It's it's part of the Gallup portfolio. But um, my number one Clifton Strength is learner. Um, my number two is achiever. Um, so, kind of the in this two thousand eight, I think the two were kind of fighting with each other because on the one hand, I wanted to put together this very logical project plan and just execute it and achieve the results. 
But at the same time, as I saw frustrations, as I saw challenges, the learner in me was kind of looking internally and and saying something needs to change. We need to do something differently. And I think, you know, that that was one of the, you know, realizations I had about Kaizen. Again, if we talk about lean, a lot of people just think of Kaizen as a, a an improvement and a, a good idea to change something. I, I really grasped and, and understood Kaizen as a, a way of deeply looking inside and understanding your own responsibility, your own accountability for why something hasn't gone as well as it should have done, problem solve that and come out with a solution that you can then do better on a consistent basis. Mm. Um, and and I think that's the that's the journey. I know it's a bit cliche to say this, but I think that's the journey that I went on yeah. since 2008. Okay, okay. And did you have to take any, um, any risks? Uh, I suppose if you've got something that's perceived to be a toolkit and then you start to layer... Uh, you know, these different dimensions on top of it, there's a p- potential chance of it goes wrong or if the messaging gets lost or diluted. And and then what if then you have to, you know, make a decision? It does mean that you need less people working in that area and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how did that feel to you? Yeah, so I, th- I think, one of, again, one of the things I've always looked at is, you know, lean, yes, you do need less. If you do it well, you need less people for the same unit of output right that that's just the reality of it but i think that the positive way of looking at this is that the leadership challenge is what to do with that additional capacity to me that's a problem for the leadership and again part of the engagement and about real lean leadership is not saying oh great we can get rid of people it's saying hey we've got the opportunity to grow the business how do we do this better i think fortunately uh, if you if you remember 2008 2009 financial crisis times actually we started simply phillips up just as the financial crisis had decimated a lot of the businesses uh, across globally but especially you know consumer businesses and mm. um, so phillips like a lot of businesses had taken a lot of people out um similar to kind of what what happened in covid as well and it gave us an opportunity actually as we were starting to see the markets increasing again um it was then as it is now difficult to get labor so it we actually grasped the opportunity and said well for every unit we can get out of here without having to get extra people that gives us an opportunity Mm. similarly in my time at Travelport, when we were doing continuous improvement and coupling that with intelligent automation using primarily robotic process automation you know we saw it as an opportunity actually to get people out of un- effectively unskilled work we had trained accountants doing effectively unskilled work keying numbers into erp systems and financial systems we could get them from doing that and into skilled roles where the accountancy knowledge and skill would really add value to the business and guess what that was an area where we struggled to recruit people mm. so we actually had vacancies so again it's it's about you know lazy leadership just fires people yeah intelligent creative leadership uses the additional resources to grow the business yeah yeah that's that's a brilliant message and so um a lot of the examples that we've spoken about thus far have been sort of quite operational and and sort of in and around manufacturing engineering how does this this sort of stuff play into um sales and marketing those kind of areas 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that one because I, I think, you know, there is the risk that we think this is just manufacturing operations. You know, everything I've been doing with this since about 2012 has been enterprise-wide. Um, so much so that actually in my latter years in, in Philips, the last two to three years in Philips, I was actually asked by the um, uh, head of what was then the accounting operations team in, in Philips, which at the time I joined them, there was about 3,500 people with a basically a Philips badge, whether that was working for our outsourced partner emphasis or for Philips, who did the accounting operations work. You know, I mean, large company like Philips, you know, three and a half thousand people is larger than many companies that, yeah. you know. So we we were, at, I was asked by the head of accounting operations to come on board as the head of continuous improvement and deploy a lean operating model across the financial processes. Um, and that was fantastic. We did work on month end closing. Uh, we did um, the purchase to pay processes. We did the record to report processes as well as the order to cash. And we basically partnered up with Infosys and a lot of credit to Infosys's leadership for this. They grasped the opportunity to deploy our lean model. And guess what? We used the same five-phase deployment model, even though this was not manufacturing processes. These were accounting operations processes. But guess what? It was about the people. Yeah. So we didn't go in and say, hey, we're going to do SMED or we're going to do TPM. What we did was we said, we're going to solve problems. We're going to understand the value stream and we're going to understand how we take the waste out. And again, we had significant benefits by, by doing that. But it started with getting the strategy right. So as well as heading up continuous improvement, I owned the partnership agreement uh, with, with Infosys. And in that partnership agreement, we made it financially beneficial for them to actually come on board and, and improve our processes together. So again, it's about getting your strategy right, first of all, and understanding what you need out of it and engaging people around it. And I've done this with sales and marketing people, with um, research and development people, design people, supply chain management people. You know, it works anywhere you've got people. Mm. Yeah, okay, cool. Because again, I think um, not, not only have you got people on the sales and marketing front, you've got people um you know trying and sell trying to sell a market to people so you've got you've got people squared in that kind of a of a scenario yeah. so uh does that mean that you've got less predictability and 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 different challenges to deal with yeah you're always going to have less predictability but again i think what it's it's almost like lean has got this reputation that you can only do it when you've got something that's a repeatable fast process and you standardize it where, in fact, what we want to do is we want to look at what we're trying to achieve, look at the processes that allow us to achieve that, and then we want to standardise the bits we already know how to do consistently. You're looking, you know, if you look at Salesforce, for example, the software, you know, if you look at any ERP system, that's essentially a software solution to standardising the bits that are common in any sales or customer relationship type of processes and, and what we're trying to do is ensure that we do standardize the ways of working where we know the solution so that people can then use their creativity to actually do what they're good at 
So, you know, a salesperson can only really sell when they're in front of a customer selling. Mm. If if, if you can reduce the amount of burden they've got in administrative bureaucracy, mm. then that allows them to go do what they do really, really well. So, mm. you know, they, there's this illusion that standardization prevents people from being creative. It doesn't, it enables them to do it even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, t- a total parallel to when people talk about, uh, you know, discipline, they see that as well as being restricted, but actually discipline means that, you know, you do the things that you need to do and that actually brings you brings you freedom because, you know, yeah. whether it's physical exercise, you do the discipline, you get the performance, uh, whether it's a, a daily routine, you know, you, you, you're focusing on the things that are most sort of mentally demanding for you in your peak energy period because you've got a routine in there and it's a discipline that sets you free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the, I think in most businesses, one of the most wasteful resources are our financial uh, people, mm. our finance experts, because they spend so much of the time on mundane, repeatable tasks when a business can really benefit by having the advice of financial people. Mm. Um, and they're so day to day in the nitty gritty that they're not actually able to use the talent and the skills that they have to help. I know we don't want creative accounting, that's, that's something different. But <laughs> it depends how you we, define we, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah but we, we want the creativity of our accountants and financial people to help us to steer the business in the most profitable, best, growth-focused way possible. And most of the time, those financial people are, you know, they're just doing really boring, mundane, frustrating work and, that's that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. When lots of them have got really good analytical skills and yeah, and and they can they can solve problems or data data based. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's the what's the uh, what's the what's the best problem that you've ever solved then? Oh, that's that's a good question. That's a good question. I think there's there's been. I'll I'll give you one that actually wasn't you know, considered a lean problem, but I would say that the way we approached it was was very much with the, the lean philosophy. So when I worked for Philips um, in quite the early days, um, we bought the the baby bottle, baby company, uh, Avent. Yeah. Um, and I was part of the post-merger integration of that and headed up um, procurement. So I was still in my procurement role at the time. And it was a great business about two at the time, about 240, 250 million euros of, of revenue. And it became an integral part of Philip's strategy and, and the mother and childcare business. And we had an existential crisis. Um, the material used for most of the products was a, a plastic material called polycarbonate. And the monomer that makes that is called BPA, bisphenol A. And there was a couple of scientists who were saying that this bisphenol A could leach out of the the residual BPA, could leach out of the plastic into the baby's milk, and then your baby would uh, drink it, and then it would be an endocrine disruptor and cause them all all sorts of problems. Um, Now, the science, the PDCA of it, said this was rubbish. All the peer-reviewed literature and data said it just wasn't uh, valid. But there was a group of us who created, you know, what in um, change management terms would be called, uh, you know, a willing coalition um, who said, look, we're all parents. You know, we understand that, you know, as a parent, if somebody tells you there's even the smallest risk to the uh, to, to your baby, then you're going to listen to that risk and, and not not, you know, and avoid it. And 
as a result of that, despite the company's party line being that um, we will follow the science, we will follow the data, um, we said we need to get ourselves ready here. So we set up kind of an, what in lean terms you might call an experiment. And we said, right, we're going to work with our supplier of our machinery and we're going to work out how we can set ourselves up with some trial molds. We can set up a faster lead time to respond if we do have to press the button full, full scale. And we're going to do a lot of experiments and get ourselves really ready and engaged to, to solve this. By the time the world started to fall in on, on this um, and we needed to press the button, if we hadn't done this, then we'd have probably lost the business or at least it'd been significantly impacted and had to stop producing for months. Mm. Uh, as a result of the problem solving we did and the readiness that we got in, we were able to have continual supply into the marketplace with the new new product. So even though that wasn't officially a lean project, again, lean to me is not the end. It's the behavior, it's the lean leadership. And I was very proud to have been part of a, you know, a willing coalition of, of people who saw an existential crisis and responded even though there was no marching orders to do so. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, getting ahead of the game and anticipating is another key leadership skill, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So looking ahead then, um, for businesses large and small, we're, um, you know, we've been through the industrial age and we're sort of coming out. We've been in the information age for a bit now. I'm not sure what the next age is going to be, but everyone talks about things like artificial intelligence and and, and, and all of that, and machines taking over. How do you see um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the impact of artificial intelligence on business and how does that sit alongside some of the the methods that you deploy to help businesses work more effectively yeah so i, I think artificial intelligence is, is going to be revolutionary it already does things that were many of us not not even aware of um you know i i, I own a tesla car and it's got the uh I don't have the full self-drive because um, that's not deployed fully in the UK, but mm. I have enhanced autopilot, as they call it, and, and I allow my car to drive me on the motorway, um, you know, hundreds of miles when I, when I go on long trips, mm. and I'm I'm quite secure and comfortable in it. Um, and, that, and that's artificial intelligence doing something that was unthinkable probably 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So we're already seeing artificial intelligence. There's, there's a lot of worry about it, but... You know, so the answer doesn't go too long on this. I think just like any technology, we've got to keep the humanity in how we deploy it. One of the biggest problems with technology, whatever technology it is, is, again, there's often too much of a PDCA approach to it, where it's this great technology is going to do this. Here's a great business case. We're going to invest X. We're going to get 10X back within one year, two years, whatever it might be sign on the capex invest and let's project manage this technology in. and i don't know about yourself david but i i'm sure that you've seen many white elephants in your time mm -hmm. um i i certainly have and when you know literally millions of pounds dollars euros have been invested in technology that just doesn't work so again i always say it's got to be people process technology mm. got to get that balance we've got to focus on the people engagement in that technology, understand the process so we don't automate waste and then invest in the technology to underpin that value add. And that's what we did in my 
days in Travelport when we invested in robotic process automation. Mm -hmm. We engaged the people, we looked at the processes, we took the waste out of the processes, and then we used RPA to automate the value add, mm -hmm. um, where it was better for a robot to do it than it was for a, a person. Yeah, fantastic. And I can really see how there's opportunities for AI and these kind of lean techniques to come together. Again, if you've got that that cultural focus from the point of view of the kind of the mentality and yeah, belief, feel, think, act as a kind of a premise for how you go about delivering uh, these things, then I can see um, I can see and understand why people might be concerned about AI. Um, and okay, is it going to take my job? You know, a bit like the kind of the metal horse did when 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 the car came in. Uh, but um, but then I suppose it goes back to what you said before, really, which is there's going to be more perhaps interesting, creative work for people to do that's going to come up in its place. I mean, do you think we're going to end up in a situation where there are going to be lots of people jobless as a result of this, or do you think it is going to evolve uh, with the times? Yeah, I think like any any technology. I mean, I, I do think there's something, you know, quite different about AI because of you know what it what it can replace. And I think the thing is, it can replace human thinking mm. in a way that no technology has ever done before. It's uh, you know, technology. Early technologies have taken away you know the physical elements of humanity, and you know this this really is talking about creativity. I mean, there's AI now that can create songs create art mm. um in a way that's indistinguishable from a, a you know a human artist mm. but again i think that what what human beings can do is adapt and it's about learning i think the risk as always is as a society we need to make sure that people who are displaced by new technology aren't disenfranchised yeah so we need to look at how do we learn and help people to develop into new roles you know, you look at the music industry. The music industry was already disrupted significantly by music streaming. Mm -hmm. You know, Spotify. Had, you know, I know there's lots of people who are still aficionados and they like to buy CDs or still, or they do, do even have um, vinyl. You know, vinyl. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I, I consume 99% of my music on Spotify, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, and what you've seen, I, I, observe over the past 10 15 years is a real renaissance in touring um you know and getting that humanity back into music yeah um you know people consuming music yeah over spotify or whatever but really you know i've got a wife and two daughters who were absolutely mad on taylor swift and i recently spent hours and hours and hours trying to acquire taylor swift tickets <laughs> yeah. um you know for her tour which is an absolute sellout unbelievable record breaking thing but ai can't do that or at least it's not going to be doing that for a long number of years right um so yeah, um, ai is not going to experience you know the loss of love for yeah. a long time and, yeah. and be able to put that kind of emotion into a music and yeah. it's the same with everything i mean you know, will will we be upset when AI is doing month end closing for us instead of lots of accountants working till two in the morning? Yeah, probably. You not. know, the the challenge is those people who are currently doing month end closing till two in the morning and you know not spending time with families and so on. Yeah. What will we as a society be able to help them to focus on as an alternative? Yeah. Yeah. 
well, Taylor Swift will have to do a few more gigs, won't she? Won't she? So, because people have time to go. I mean, I can totally oh, relate. I can totally relate to that because I've got a wife and two daughters, and I did exactly the same thing. And in fact, I bought I bought her album um, on vinyl because that that got you into the pre-sale. So, ah, so, so yeah. that that kind of yeah. So there you go. And I do love. I do, so, what is your favourite album then? From uh, from Taylor Swift. What oh, you could, it, it didn't realise you were a Taylor Swift. Are you a Swifty? Are you? I'm a Swifty, of course I am. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, heard it, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unashamedly a Swifty. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good. I, and I still think Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal needs to give her a scarf bath. <laughs> Very but, good. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. So what is your favourite album? It doesn't have to be Taylor Swift. Oh, I, I I think that's a, a really difficult one. I think the one if I if I go for the emotional one because at, at the time it really was was great for me. I think definitely maybe by Oasis. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being being a, a lad from the Manchester area, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, very good. There you go. We've got under the bonnet finally. It's, it's almost in the last minute of the interview, and we've actually <laughs> we've actually got to the heart of Philip Holt. Fantastic. <laughs> Taylor Swift and Oasis. There you go. Yeah. That's a heady blend. That is fantastic. Absolutely. Good. So we are nearly at the end of our of our time together, sadly. But I've it's literally flown by. I can't believe it. But um, but yeah, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, this podcast is called People with Purpose. So I'm really interested in in what purpose means to you, and and if you feel that there's a purpose for your life, and if so, how you would articulate that. Yeah, so there's absolutely a purpose for my life, and it, first and foremost, again, cliche, but I think for a good reason starts with our family and mm. um, so it starts with looking after my wife and my daughters the the best I possibly can helping them to have the best life they can um but yeah I mean if, if I look at my professional um purpose it, it's the tagline that I use it's making the world of work a better place for people mm. um and I and I feel in my own modest way I I've been able to do that over the years and that's what I continue to try to do because I think it it just it benefits the whole of society. Mm, fantastic. That's brilliant. Well, Phil, it's been awesome uh, speaking with you. Uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing you uh, speak live as well, which I, I, I loved. So uh, so thanks for, for, for doing the work that you do. Uh, really is inspirational, especially for organisations, um, you know, like, like ours, where we're, you know, uh, in, implementing uh, Lean as part of a, a business system. And, um, and we're doing it in businesses of all sizes and uh, and some some with manufacturing, some with a kind of a more of a kind of a uh, like a services sort of focus, uh, and um, and yeah, the, the the tools translate across very very well. But hit the nail on the head, absolutely. This it's that leadership that's so vital to make it make it really really work for the people involved. I couldn't agree more. That's brilliant. Absolutely. So before we say goodbye, then, so uh, perhaps you could. Um, uh, let us know how uh, people can find you, follow you, uh, and uh, and get in touch if they'd like to. Yeah, so I think the the easiest way, first and foremost, just look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I've I've got quite an active uh, page on there, um, and I, I I have my own newsletter on there. Um, and from that, you'll see the links towards my own website, leadingwithlean.com. Um, and also YouTube channel, uh, my own podcast as well. Uh, so yeah, that's that's probably the easiest gateway into uh, to, to connect with me. Fantastic. And if there was one of one of your books that you'd recommend uh, uh, the audience uh, or people in the audience getting hold of, uh, which one would you go for? 
Oh, it it really depends what they want to achieve. Leading with lean is really, I would say, for people who need to lead a, a lean transformation. Uh, the simplicity of lean is probably the one uh, that has the widest potential audience because that's really about how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then the final one, leading lean by living lean, uh, which my publisher insisted on such a large title, <laughs> um, is uh, is really about how you live it yourself and make your own personal and professional life better. So it really depends what, what your goals are in, in learning. Fantastic. Well, it's very humble of you not to talk about those books very much. So I thought I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that because uh, I know they're very focused in different ways. But look, Phil, it's been awesome speaking uh, with you and thanks very much for your time. And thanks for coming on People With Purpose. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, Tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.